Hello, welcome to Belonging Before Believing, where the early bird only gets more work. I'm Patrick Mathers, and sitting across the table from me in the front of the microphone is Brian Gumpy. What up, dude? Hey. The, the early bird gets more more work. The early bird only gets more work. <laughs> not, not even anything on top of more work. Only gets okay. more work. So when I was in second grade. <laughs> love this. You know the story. <laughs> I had no clue why you thought to say that. And now I'm now I'm excited for everybody listening right now. Okay, please. When I was in second grade. <laughs> we were organized into two different groups, the early birds and the late birds. The early birds were the smarter kids. The early birds were like, and I was in gate when I was like in elementary school, part of elementary school. And they did all, they were the ones who did, did good. I was an early bird. What I realized very quickly, well, what early bird meant is that you came in an hour earlier than everybody else. So school started at like 8.30, we came in at 7.30. But you got to go home earlier. And the late birds had to stay after an hour and do their work and kind of get caught up, hopefully, to the early birds. Right. But what I realized very early on is that as an early bird, I was missing some of my favorite cartoons <laughs> between the hours of 7 to 7.30 or 7.30 to 8 or whatever the time frame was. So I deliberately did bad in my classes so that I got moved to a late bird so that I could stay home and watch cartoons for an extra hour in the morning. And it worked. Sandbagged your <laughs> academic career. In second grade. What cartoons were they? Uh, Trends or Z was one of them. Um, in America, it's G-Force, but in Japanese, it's Gacha Man. Uh, <laughs> I like Gotcha Man way better. <laughs> I know, me too. But it's G Force, Transor Z. What else was there? For sure, those two. For sure. And Robotech might have been in there too, but I think that might have been a, even a little bit later. The, later in my life, like fourth, fifth grade, Robotech, I think. If anything. But for sure. For sure, G Force, and for sure, got or Transor Z. If anything, your elaborate plan to tank your grades, <laughs> ensuring that you got to do what you wanted to do, proved that you were an early bird. I was an early bird, and I did. you're a smart boy. <laughs> Good job. Oh, it was great. Oh. Do you have a story like that at all? Uh, not exactly like that. But um, so it does have to do with probably about the same time frame. I was yeah. in third grade. Dude, we're connivers. Second, third graders are yeah. slick. So my, evil little kids. My parents got a phone call from the school saying, basically, what the heck is the matter with you? Why don't you send your kid to school with a lunch or at least some lunch money? It's the least you can do. And my mom was like, excuse what? me? <laughs> what? I send that boy to school with like a five, like every single day. What are you talking about? Well, he hasn't eaten lunch in days and he keeps getting these peanut butter that you could get a peanut butter sandwich. It was like the chunkiest, like, and not like good chunky, 
Like just is the base model sandwich. The base model peanut butter on like the it might have been like like marble rye bread or something. It was just like the most like unappetizing <laughs> bread for a peanut butter sandwich. And they would get it to you, and you wouldn't have to pay for it, but they would charge fifty cents to like your parents. Like yeah, they yeah. would get like a, an invoice in the mail for fifty cents for a peanut butter sandwich. Anyway, so. I would get one of those peanut butter sandwiches every so you're day. You're racking up a hefty debt. My teacher, after <laughs> after calling my parents, pulls me out of the classroom. The office comes out. They pull me out of the class and they make me take my backpack and they start opening up all the pockets. And you know, backpacks like they have like seventeen different yeah. the side pocket yeah. and the main pocket and the small pocket in the front and the small pocket in the back. And I think I had like like forty seven dollars yeah! or something in my backpack. Yeah. So I didn't tank my grades on purpose, but I did embezzle. Uh, Pat, between the two of us, it sounds like we had some pretty unethical things going down. Yep. Yep. You got the, I got the brains, you got the brawn. There you go. Let's make lots of money. Okay. I think that was. That's a Pet Shop Boys song. Who's the Pet Shop Boys? No. You didn't just say that. <laughs> you didn't just say that. Okay, I'll be 100% honest. Who is the Pet Shop Boys? I'll be 100% honest. I definitely know the name, but I could not tell you even what kind of music they make. The real crime here is that for the first time in this podcast history, I made a successful transition between the banter section and the question section, and we kept going and passed it by. We're looking at it in the rearview mirror now. It's all for naught. All right, I gotta let it go. Go. You gotta All let right. it go. All right. We'll talk about it later. All right. The the no, just not, go. not pet sounds by the Beach Shut Boys. Up. Okay. Shut up. So we have o- a- old man jokes are coming next. I I can just feel them. <laughs> Move, on. Ro- Move on. Move on. Nothing to see here. All right. Move on. So the question. Yeah. I would want to know about how Christians and especially the church leaders feel about the less than ethical practices that run rampant. Within the institution. Oops. That was the transition. Yeah. We're unethical. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do you want to start this? Uh, what unethical practices are we thinking of here? So, this person gives examples. Okay. But what my we- my mind is not immediately drawn to the examples that they give, but I'll read them. And if we want to address some of them, fine. But I definitely sure, want to address quick. some yeah, other ones. Yeah. 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 Uh, they say, for example, mega churches. Religi- wait, wait, wait! Just, just mega churches. That's all they say. For example, mega churches. I'm not sure what's. I don't know what's in unethical. and of itself unethical about a mega church. There's lots of bad stuff, but maybe in I, some. I, you know, if you could point to like you know some of these like. Creflo Dollar, like Joel yeah. Osteen, like you yeah. know, some of these big like health and wealth prosperity dudes who are pretty obviously, you know, taking money and keeping it for themselves, whatever. And there's some know, ones getting that, rich off of yeah. people who are fucking gullible. But to be people. fair, there are some who genuinely have no scandal around their Absolutely. name. Absolutely. So like they're mega would, churches because they're I mean good teachers. Right. So we would well, I, I'm not thinking a good teacher, but we would disagree with Rick Warren there on his teaching. But he certainly doesn't have any scandal He's not unethical. his name. He we don't I, I mean at that least we up know. to this point he certainly hasn't been. But he would be a mega church pastor. Sure. Um but you're right, there's a lot there. Anyways uh religion's going. role in politics. Yep. 
Well, uh, that could be a whole podcast episode itself, right, right? Right. How religion contributes to prejudices, etc. I am curious as to how readily those within the institution would condemn the actions of others within the institution when they perceive those actions to be irresponsible or inappropriate, particularly when those actions are taken in the name of God. Well, we've just exhibited that we are ready to confront and speak our mind and name names. I guess so, right? <laughs> we, we have no problem with that. We've just proved that yeah. b- by beginning here. But where do you want to go with this? What are you thinking? Well, you, you know, I don't have somebody in mind when I read this question. Uh, you know, we could talk about like the mega churches thing. Like we brought up all these guys who are like kind of shysters and mm-hmm. who are, you know, making uh what's the word? Like a, 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 a making merchandise of the people you. of God. I could not think How of, about that. I could not think of the word merchandise, but everything. Oh, you were thinking of that. That's word. what I was oh, trying okay. to say. Yes. Yeah, so right. that was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, totally. Uh, but there, I have two main thoughts when I think about unethical practices in the church in general whether it be, you know, somebody in church leadership who falls into, uh, you know, sexual scandal. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that I've been seeing coming up. Um, Or somebody who, you know, has their hand in the coffer and is using church money for, or just for themselves or, or unethical things, whatever. Like I said, I don't have somebody in mind, so it's hard for me to be too specific with this. But when you say both of those things, I immediately think of people. Well, specific people. Sure. And I, I don't disagree with you. Those are the the two big categories. I think that um, where scandal, where misappropriation, <laughs> to say it nicely, uh-huh. to where unethical practices arise, right? Yeah. Sexual issues and money issues, and maybe power issues, authority, where people overstep their authority and put their thumb on people and begin to rule people's lives. Domineering, Domineering. manipulative. Certainly um, there are people in a church who, I mean, in in a good way, look up to their church leadership, um, submit to their church leadership even, and there are pastors out there who take advantage of that. And we've definitely seen that. And that, like, I can name names with that. well, do you want to go through those three and just kind of break those down? Actually, I kind of want to go by my two reactions. Let's do that. This would be fun. Okay. Uh, kind of. <laughs> it's not exactly a fun subject. Whee! But, but um, my first reaction when, because that's what it asks, how do you feel when you see these things happen? My first one is how dare you? Pissed. Yeah. Anger. How dare you? Yeah. Um. When you look at... Who the F do you think you are? I mean, essentially. Yeah. Uh, when you see the level of trust that these people put in, um, you know, these leaders, uh, the opportunity to, you know, be dishonest, uh, manipulative, uh, abusive, whatever you want to call it, and these people to just not uh, really think any the wiser... To betray somebody's trust like that. I Okay, so I think about something that I've gone back and forth with some of my friends about is the way that my parents kind of raised me is they had a pretty hands-off approach. They gave me enough rope to hang or swing, and they trusted me. And in a weird way, it, it, it kind of kept me in check 
because I saw how much they trusted me. I saw how much they, you know, it, it was like almost a reward for good behavior is a really hands-off approach. And I was terrified constantly of screwing that up. Um, it was a, a strange way how not having a leash ended up being my leash. Sure. And you, like I see these type of people who are given all the trust in the world and they take advantage of it. I think, how dare you? But I also think of not just the way that the people they're entrusted with treat them, but just the fact that they're entrusted with those people. Um, scripture talks about the church being the bride of Christ. Obviously something precious. I mean, you want to talk about how precious your spouse is to you. We're talking about the bride of Christ. Uh, and you're entrusted with that. You, um, as good teachers, could be worthy of double honor. We just talked about that uh, at church on Sunday. Two Sundays ago. Two Sundays ago. I wasn't there on Sunday. You're right. Um, and, and so when you look at the precious thing that you're a steward of, and that's the way that you treat it, how dare you? And of course, um, you know, I, well, I don't want to get high of myself. Never That's mind. interesting. I'm getting into my, <laughs> I'm getting into my second one. So, so I think, uh, I, I think the same thing. How dare you? Um, I'm upset. I react very emotionally in it with anger. Um, but yet I, I hear myself, I, I guess I think different thoughts, although I don't not think your thoughts. My first thought, though, is that as a pastor, my job is to represent God to the people. Not like I'm a priest or something, but inevitably there is a priestly element to the ministry that I do. There's an And, and let me be clear. What I'm saying is, is that there's a part of what I do that when people look at me, inevitably they're drawn in their attention to God. And for me to misuse that position, what I'm doing is I am misrepresenting God to the people. So when I say, how dare you, who in the world do you think you are? What in my mind where I go is you are misrepresenting God Almighty. And now people are going to have a bad taste in their mouth. They're going to, some people are just going to outright hate God because of what you did. Who do you think you are? I mean, there's very few people that I want to go back to my old ways and I want to fight and I just want to knock them cold. These are the kind of people that I want to do that to. These people who are in the position of pastor, position of elder, position of leadership in God's church and you dare to sin and bring God's name down to your own? Who do you think you are? How dare you? I'm I'm getting a little hot. I gotta calm down here. Let me have <laughs> so, a sip of wine. <laughs> so you think about you know all the people, what it took to you know get the Bible translated, and what it took to get the Bible into regions where the Bible had never been before. Let alone you know what it took to actually teach uh, and present the gospel, and all the different you know lives that have been lost all of the lives that have been dedicated that weren't lost, but have just, I mean, as many would look at them, it would look like a fruitless life to just make inches and inches and inches to bring the gospel, to bring 
a knowledge of the things of God into different areas of the world. And then, like you said, for you to, I mean, in some ways, essentially undo all that in the, you know, in the lives of some where they look at the, and it's just all undone. It's ruined because of the reputation of one man. Yeah. Who do you think you are? Um, let's, let's knock them out, dude. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm fired up. <laughs> so, I mean, let's go lay some hands on some people. You know, it, it sounds like we're trying to be funny and we're trying to, you know, talk I, a big talk. I'm trying to be funny, so I'm not mad. <laughs> right. But the reality is, the question is, how would you feel? Because I think the, uh, as I read the tone of this question, is that a lot of people are inclined to kind of just stick to their own. And, you know, oh, like we're a bunch of pastors, so we're going to stick up for pastors. Like, oh, you don't know what it's like to be a pastor. You don't know what it's like to, you know, have stand under that kind of scrutiny. Or you don't know what it's like to have everybody think that you need to be holy. You don't know what it's like to endure that type of temptation. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Great. That's not how we're going to react to when somebody um, is dealing with their congregation in an unethical way. If they're, you know, dealing with anybody in an unethical way. We're not going to come to their aid. Let me ask you a question before you get to your second point. There. Sure. When when you read a question like this, and you are the one who received this question, uh-huh. people know you that you're an elder, you're a pastor in, in the church. Maybe. Do you feel like that this is a either a kind of subtle slap at you, or do you kind of feel like maybe that there is an element where questioner like this has been treated wrong in the past and now they look at you through that lens? Well, a couple things. First of all, uh, uh, most people don't know me as Elder of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. Shame on you. Most people know me as Dutch bro man. Dutch bro dude, yeah. 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 Um, I've actually had more people be shocked and surprised when I tell them that I'm a Christian at all. Um, But that's two kingdoms. Right. That's like you're, you're no, totally. I, I get it. You're doing your job and you're not drawing crosses on your coffee cups. Right. I get that. I never I know that. how to take it when people are shocked that I'm a Christian either. Like, I don't know if, yeah. if that's a good thing two, or two, two kingdoms, dude. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Uh, so I, I don't think that it's super directed at me, mm-hmm. um, more than likely. Uh, but at the same time, like, I'm the one who's asking these type of questions. So they have to have some kind of clue. Like, I'm not just asking this as somebody who's also an outsider. Like, I don't Mm. think you would be very smart if you thought that about me. Um, But I I will say, and and this is so much of the heart behind us doing this podcast in general, is that I, 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 I try to be a normal dude, you know? And and so I, I hope that the people who do know that, um, that I'm heavily, heavily, heavily invested in the things of the church, um, that they recognize like, oh, okay, like I can ask this guy a question and not have it be weird. I I can talk to this dude about things where he knows that I'm not into it and it's not going to be weird. Yeah. So I would, I would hope that. I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to offend the person who asked this question. I don't remember who asked this question. Um, it was I, a long time ago. I it co- was months ago. I copied and pasted, and I, I've got a document that I put all these questions in, so now I'm, I don't have to go back and look. I know it was asked on Facebook, so I can go back and find it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but I want to get into the second reaction 
when I they ask how I feel about unethical practices in the church. There go I, but for the grace of God. Mm. You're not wrong, dude. So much of the time, uh, it, first the reaction is anger or pain, just pain for the people that are affected by it. And it's really easy to sit up high and look down my nose. No, I, you know, I've been running the money at our church for years, and I've never done anything goofy with it. I know it's not hard. What's the matter with that guy? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and I know that I've seen too many people, and not just pastors, but Christians in general, marriages that you thought were marriages that you looked up to, that the, this couple, they know how to you know, have a godly marriage. Um, you know, a, a guy who you think is somebody who, if you emulated his behavior, it would make you, you know, a great example as a father or whatever. And then just you, you just find out one day that they're one of those screw ups like this. And my reaction isn't like, oh, I must not have known them the way that I thought. It's something happened there where this guy thought that it could never happen to him. And that's one of the things that struck or stuck out to me over all these years of being married is somebody told me, you can never, ever think that that would never happen to you. As soon as you think that you're, you're oh, there, there's no way. We're, we're for life. Like we're, there's nothing that could ever happen that would make us be divorced. And there's a difference between having that level of commitment and being, you know, uh, resolved to work through things and work hard at your marriage and love your wife and pursue your wife and, you know, do whatever kind of growing and changes you have to do to make your marriage work. There's a difference between being resolved that way and just thinking, oh, we're in love. It's, right, you know, right. it, we, we, we married the right person. And just having it in your head, like, oh, that would never happen to us. That's how things like this happen, is when you start to believe like, that you've got it together, that you believe the certain thing that's going to keep that from having, happening to you. But at the end of the day, it's, it's dependence on God himself to, to grow us, to change us, um, to just know that every single day we're dependent on him for everything. And, and as soon as we stop feeling that way, that's when sin takes a hold. And that's when we can really, really lose sight. And that's when we're setting ourselves up for a big fall like these guys. Well, let me get specific for, for myself. So we're really talking about three areas here. We're talking about sexual, financial, and authoritarian issues. Are, are the big three where these guys fall that cause us great grief and and cause people frustration and even to leave the church. So we've seen in our own circles um, guys fall. Tillian Tukjavidian, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name, but he, he had an affair and a, a, a long time affair, it turned out, and and ended up divorcing his wife, and it was just a mess. And 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 you're right, there go I, but by the grace of God. And and I, I look at that, and one of the things that that I did early on is that, and this is going to sound silly to a lot of people, I totally get it, but I would tell my wife every single time I was alone in the room with a woman, like I would. It was before texting, so like I would make a mental note, and I would just tell her, 
And until the point where she was so secure that she actually told me at one point, you know, thank you. I appreciate that you've done this, but you don't need to tell me that every time anymore. And so I just made it a point that if any time was awkward or could have been perceived weird, then I would start telling her. Um, with money issues, very early on, I was told, don't have anything to do with the money. And so I've tried to keep myself out of the money. And you know that. I, oh, hate, yeah. I hate money, hate talking about it. And the third area is, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an arrogant jerk. And I have, in the past, had those authoritative tendencies like a Mark Driscoll who would, you know, just have his thumb in everything and have his thumb on people. And, and um, I, I have to really guard myself. So wh what do I do? I get very upset and mad. And then you're right. I go, well, there go I, but by the grace of God. And I have to re continuously remind myself that in all three of these areas, I know because I'm a sinner that I have the propensity to fall as well. And so I need to put checks and balances in place, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I have you, I have my wife, I have Joel, you know, our friend, our, our brother of church, and, and I try to be as open and bald as possible about everything. And, you know, you, you, you guys see what's going on in my life, and it needs to be like that, right? Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you read my mind. I was going to kind of sum up by saying I, I think to avoid – something like this from happening, uh, church leadership really needs to have three things in place. Um, one is you need to constantly be bombarding yourself with the gospel. You need to know how inadequate you are um, in your righteousness and how desperately you need the righteousness of Christ, how desperately you need grace and mercy. Um, you need to have a real uncomfortable um, genuine understanding of just how not pious, how not cool, how not well put together, how you know unintelligent in your leading, whatever you want to say. You're a mess. A messy person, yeah. yeah. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And if you don't understand what that means, look no further than any pulpit. And you will see that the way that he gets his gospel out there is by using just a really weird group of dudes to preach the gospel. So bombarding yourself with the gospel so that you really understand how just desperate you are and in your dependence um, for everything. Um, second is um, to pursue holiness. And this is not something that we've talked a lot about on our podcast uh, you hear us talk about grace, 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 and we will not stop. But um, we're called to be holy, and it's work. Uh, well, grace is the thing that motivates us that's, to holiness, Well, right? that's it's what like, I'm... I've been so forgiven, I've been shown so much grace, that because of my crazy love for Jesus, all I want to do is live like him and become more like him. Well, and when you are wanting to show somebody how great the gospel is, when you're wanting to teach somebody about how great it is to be forgiven and to live this life of peace, you, like it, like any other race, or if you're going to train for a big fight, you train. You train. And um, pursuing holiness is, is the pastor's training, right? Yeah. Um, and so pursuing holiness, knowing, like the first point, where you stand and that this is not what saves you, 
but this is how that you live this life well, how you are able to um, relate to your people in a way to where you show them like this life is a difficult one, but one worth living. Um, and then the third thing uh, you already alluded to it is having that accountability in place where, you know, at our church, you know, Joel and I, I mean, we, we've had to tell you to chill out before. And that's not in any way that was, you know, where you had gotten very far. You hadn't even like, you know, gotten to your next sip or gotten up from your chair or whatever else. Um, so I don't want to make it sound scandalous because it's not like that. It's us sitting around having a conversation and then just calling each other. And we're like, dude, what are you talking about? Right. It doesn't get very far because we know that we have each other's backs because we know that we want what's best for each other. But more than that, we want what's best for the church because we're entrusted with something so precious. And that's something that, you know, honestly is kind of terrifying, but something that's so, so fulfilling and worth doing. The the difference between what we're talking about and what we're pointing out in other people is that there is a genuineness with what we do. There's an authenticity and it's, you can't manufacture that. It comes through a long time of a lot of work of a lot of being together, being messy together, being vulnerable together, being open and honest, being raw, allowing you to see my crap, allowing me to see your crap. And at the same time, we show grace to each other. That motivates us to be holy. It motivates us to more vulnerability. It motivates us to more accountability. I mean, all of these things, it's it's so holistic that it's it's hard to articulate in a way that doesn't sound fantastic, mm-hmm. you know? But it really is just real life of us living together. And I think that that messiness, that genuineness, that authenticity, that vulnerability all leads to us being able to pastor in a way where hopefully we're able to avoid scandal like this, Lord willing. Um, I definitely don't want to boast lest I fall. Right. um, But, you know, we hate this kind of thing. We know it's out there. We know people are wrecked and hurt by it. And our desire is that we would be able to, at the end of the day, look and honestly be able to live our lives and say, you know what, we we've just want to know Jesus and love him more, and we want that for our people as well. Listener, this is the church. We are a hot mess, and we believe that you belong. <laughs> <laughs>